Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Kathleen Porter. Kathleen is a longtime movement educator and author who is dedicated to helping others become pain-free by way of the same revolutionary insights about skeletal alignment that released her from decades of chronic tension and pain. She has taught principles of natural alignment through the University of Hawaii at Hilo, the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, and has been on the faculty of the Omega Institute for five years. Kathleen is the author of Natural Posture for Pain-Free Living, The Practice of Mindful Alignment. And her first book was called Sad Dog, Happy Dog, How Poor Posture Affects Your Child's Health, and what you can do about it. Kathleen, welcome. I'm so delighted you could join us. Oh, thank you so much, Miriam. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. You know, Kathleen, I was so happy to get your book for review because I have back and joint challenges, and I expect that 90% of the U.S. population does too. Now, from reading your book, I understand particularly in Native and Indigenous societies, this is definitely not so. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because in uh, more modern, advanced, and uh, technologically developed uh, countries, we are moving away more and more from developing naturally and understanding our roots to the natural world. And um, so... Indigenous cultures have not been uh, that disrupted in their relationship to the natural world and to the earth and in the ways that they developed from childhood on up. So as young children, babies and toddlers, learning how to, teaching themselves actually, how to sit up, stand and walk and be able to balance a very heavy bowling ball-like head on top of the spine, they discover a very, very specific and particular alignment of the skeleton. Of course, they don't know that's what they're doing. But in order to be able to be upright without, you know, overdeveloped muscular tension to do to help them or anything like that, they find this balance point along the vertical axis of gravity. And if that doesn't get disrupted, that design actually is intended to last for a whole lifetime. And so we see this in cultures where we see uh, small women sometimes carrying astonishingly heavy loads on their heads uh, without developing um, pain problems, spinal problems. Sometimes day in and day out for decades, these women carry heavy loads. Now, I don't want to suggest that this isn't damaging to some people. It is. But when it is, it appears to be because they are not aligned, their skeletons are not aligned, and that's when they run into trouble. Mm -hmm. um, modern world, you know, we sit all day, we sit badly all day in cars, at desks, on couches, in front of computers, and, um, and so we really have been moving continuously in this direction of being less and less um, knowing how to inhabit our bodies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember in reading books on osteoporosis, for example, that the preventative recommendation is weight-bearing exercises. So actually, um, those loads on the, uh, on the head of these women are strengthening their bones as they oh, absolutely. work. Absolutely. That's such a 
point. Yes, and of course, only if those bones are aligned. But mm -hmm. you see, it's really helpful to remember that the, the human body, the structure, I mean, not just the human body, every species, especially if let's just keep it limited to vertebrates for now, um, have a design that is really specific to that uh, species' needs. And uh, the human design is actually meant to be upright, and it is meant to uh, be able to distribute just, I mean, if for no other reason, just the weight of the head through this vertical axis of, of gravity. So, you know, you don't really even need to be carrying a, a heavy box or jug of water on your head. Mm -hmm. You've got a ball on top of your spine as it is, and um, the weight of that, uh, needs to be distributed through aligned bones in much the same way that the weight of the roof of a house is distributed through aligned uh, wall studs and posts in the construction of a house. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so you I think they will one day, I was just going to say, I think they one day determine that there is a, a big relationship between the development of osteoporosis and the alignment of the skeleton. Hmm. Now, you were a yoga teacher, presumably in top shape, and yet you experienced pain. Um, how did you determine what the source of that pain was? Well, you know, I, I was able to hold a lot of that pain at bay by stretching on an almost daily basis. But if the, my schedule was disrupted or I was traveling or something like that, I would quickly notice that the same old familiar sort of aches and pains that I had before I took up this practice of yoga started creeping back in. And so then, of course, I'd want, I'd have this tremendous urge to stretch and to stretch away this tension, which I did for many years. I taught yoga this, this way for about 16 years. Um, and I had been trained as a massage therapist before that, and so I'd had a lot of background in, um, you know, anatomy and physiology, and I had this burning interest in understanding why so many people who came to my classes didn't seem to uh, improve. Uh, they would get uh, temporary relief from stretching and doing yoga asana, but they still had problems, and they still looked slumpy and um Anyway, as I began to uh, discover uh, this information about skeletal alignment, and I really was beginning to succeed in putting it into um, application in my own life, I started noticing that I just didn't have an urge to stretch anymore, um, that those tensions that seemed so much a part of my physicality were just falling away. And uh, it was at that point that I really, uh, you know, this really lit a fire under me that actually caused me to, when my children were um, out on their own, to uh, actually take off and start traveling and seeking out those women who carry heavy things on their heads and um, meeting some of them and um, interviewing them and photographing them. And, um, you know, it was really remarkable. To see, there, there are sort of three distinct groups of people who share this same skeletal alignment that we can really learn from. The first one is toddlers, healthy toddlers who have had the opportunity to really develop naturally and, and easily and well in an, have this alignment. So do the women that you find in some places in the world who carry successfully carry these heavy loads on their heads. And then the third group are people who have aged 
you know, into their 70s and 80s and beyond and have maintained um, an elongated spine and easy flexibility and have this kind of authentic strength um, and also enjoy enduring uh, vitality. And it's these three groups of people who uh, we can really learn a lot from about how to not necessarily carry heavy things on our heads. Nobody has to do that. But they, these people hold the secret for how to address a lot of the posture-related pain problems in our, in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about babies who are allowed to develop naturally. Um, and uh, you describe in your book... Uh, the uh, devastation that's caused by modern life, by putting babies on their backs and, and car seats and so on. Expand upon that, because that sounds like one of the most important messages that could come out of our discussion today. Well, I agree. And the more I work with this information, the more I become interested in this particular aspect of it, because... Uh, it's one thing to um, to try to uh, learn how to turn around uh, one's uh, postural issues, and it's another thing to prevent them from ever going uh, astray in the first place. And um, but the problems with babies are actually considerably more serious because it, it appears that. Um, Movement, physical movement is an essential part of building a healthy nervous system. It seems that all species of vertebrates have these um, very uh, early movements that you could call uh, neurodevelopmental movements that fire neurons. And there are billions of these um, sensory and motor neurons in the spinal cord. And um, it seems that this movement... Uh, first engages this actual authentic core, which I might add is quite different from the core that's often um, thought of to be the core in exercise and fitness programs. But this authentically deep core um, is developed for two reasons. Well, maybe more, but initially it will provide stability for the upright spine when the baby is learning how to become upright. But in the meantime, the developed working of this core is what drives this. It's like the engine that drives the development of these um, tracks between these neurons uh, and the body and certain areas of the brain. So if you take a baby and you put this baby on its back, which we do all the time now, we put a baby in a car seat, we put a baby in a... now. I have to go on the record as saying car seats are important. I'm not suggesting that we not use them. If a baby is traveling in a car, it has to be in one. But the combination of a car seat, a stroller, a bouncy seat, a swing, and then putting the baby on a mat and dangling things over its head, and and then the instructions that babies have to sleep all the time on their backs. This is like the perfect storm of keeping babies in what is actually a physically disempowering position where they don't get to engage with the earth. So by that I mean, if you were to drop a ball, a bouncy ball on the ground, it would, it would bounce. But if you wanted it to bounce higher, you would have to throw it down harder so that it engaged more deeply 
with the earth. I mean, any surface that we're talking about here, whether it's the floor, the ground, the mattress of a crib or the a blanket on the floor or a mother's body or a father's body could be considered the representative of the earth. And um, so this uh, connection with the earth and this reaction to the earth is very much uh, related to Newton's third law of motion that, um, you know, postulates that for every uh, action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so for a baby on its, when its baby is placed on its stomach, in order for it to be able to move, it has to engage with the earth, whatever surface it's lying on. When a baby is born, the baby would never be born into the world and then placed on its back on top of the mother's chest. You know, we just always place the baby belly to earth. And if that baby is skin to skin with the mother and placed on her belly and nothing is done, within 30 minutes, that baby will have figured out how to wriggle itself upstream, so to speak, <laughs> and find the mother's nipple and begin to nurse. If we always keep babies swaddled up and placed on their backs and um, we, dis we disrupt that connection, and so then, you know, we start saying, oh, wow, these babies are getting flat heads. In fact, flat heads have increased by 600% since the beginning of the Back to Sleep campaign uh, being instituted in 1992. Um, mm. and, uh, and they presumably don't develop the strength in their necks and bodies from right. doing these little push-ups. That's right. And it's actually not strength in the neck so much as its strength in the core. It's the core that allows a baby to hold its head up. And, um, you know, there's a very prescribed systematic unfolding of uh, these sort of neurodevelopmental movements that babies have to do. So there is another big part of this, too, which is that if a baby is confined on its back, its experience of the world is of what's outside of itself. It sees the shapes, the shadows, the colors, um, you know. It, it's, it's relating to all of this sensory input that's outside of itself. If you place a baby on its stomach, and you don't have to be a baby, you know, anybody can try this experiment. Um, lying on the stomach for an adult one would really need to either bend up the knees a bit or lie across um, long ways a couple of pillows under the torso so that there's no arching of the back. But you can experiment with this yourself and see how, as, a, as an infant, when you start to uh, move, you have to engage with the surface that you're lying on, and then your experience becomes very sensory. It becomes very much about what's going on inside your skin. I think this is an absolutely crucial phase for developing a nervous system that then develops with the maturity that is able to process all this sensory input. So that if all babies get is this non-physical experience of shapes and little gadgets hung over their heads and restricted to being on the back, either flat on their back or in a semi-reclining position, 
they're just bombarded with too much sensory input and a, and a nervous system that is not mature enough yet to process it all, which is why perhaps we end up with children today having all these, an epidemic of what's being called sensory processing disorders, mm-hmm. which includes all these, like all the autism spectrum um, you, it's uh, possible that they're just like getting that. sensory overload. Uh, yeah, well, without our, getting, without being able to ground their their little bodies. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They just don't. Their nervous system can't handle it because it hasn't had a chance to develop enough to do that. So I'm really pushing for um, people to uh, begin to research this and look into it. And I'd be thrilled to be proven wrong if it just meant that we were really examining the importance of recognizing the body and movement. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you, in, had, in, you had some other interesting uh, comparative pictures of children in other societies versus children in Western society where um, uh, usually the, the, the American kids are kind of slumped over and uh, they're very curved backs. Um, so, you know, kind of prime examples of the, the lack of alignment. Um, you uh, start with the feet, which is a great place to, to carry on from the previous point, which is where we're grounded into the earth. What is the importance of the feet? Well, when we're standing, the, um, the feet are the platforms that we stand on. And each foot has 26 bones, and those bones are uh, intended to be arranged in a very precise way, a way that gives an arch that distributes, allows for the distribution of the weight from the body above it. And when babies are developing naturally from the very earliest days of their lives, um, they begin to learn how to, uh, if they're on their stomachs, they're often turning their toes under and uh, working their feet against the, the ground, and um, they're strengthening their feet in a very particular way. Babies who are confined to being in car seats and uh, strollers and things like that um, often have this sort of medial rotation of the hips. This is also a concern of babies being swaddled too much where they don't have any movement of their their legs and their legs are maintained in this straight stance. So if we think of the human body as an architectural structure, you know, it is an architectural structure. It happens to be one that is animated and can move, but it is still governed by those same laws that apply to, you know, physics, engineering, and architecture. And um, this uh, platform is so key to being able to support the entire structure of this body above it. And so there's a real epidemic today of children who have pronated ankles and flat feet, whose knees roll in, um, and who walk with the weight more on the insides of their feet than the outsides. And these are serious problems that will plague these children in their, you know, throughout their lives, unless something is done. And can that be corrected in later years? It can. 
it can. It's not a quick fix. It's not, you know, an easy thing. It takes quite a bit of commitment. But, um, you know, I see people doing it all the day, all the time. I Every day I, I uh, work, was just working with a woman yesterday who is in her 60s, as I am, and she uh, said she just couldn't believe how excited she was because she um, is really, her feet are finally becoming alive for her. Mm-hmm. She's... Uh, She's just thrilled that, you know, she she feels her feet and she's learning how to use them to support her. And uh, it's very it's always exciting and it's never too late. What's the principle of how you go about realigning them? Well, there's uh, specific uh, things that you, that you need to be aware of. One is that um, the knees and the hips are very, very related to the position of the feet. So you sort of like the, which came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, if you immediately rotate the hips, um, then the, the, the feet will start to collapse. Um, but if you collapse the feet, then you'll also immediately rotate the hips. So... Um, there's a lot of this that is is learned through um, learning certain concepts and then learning how to apply those concepts to how we sit and how we bend and walk. And um, I would say that bending well, learning how to bend with the knees aiming out and doing it often as an exercise. You know, there's so many exercises that people do, for instance, at a gym or something like that. They do this whole routine. When actually what they could be doing that might be benefiting them more than anything is learning how to bend like a baby and bending that way over and over and over many times a day because it will begin to strengthen the muscles that are uh, too um, weak and to firm up the ones that have become too stretched out and lax. And, uh, you know, so that, and there are some simple little movements and exercises that one can work on. Whether you're standing or sitting, there are ways that you can work on your feet, even while you're eating dinner or working at the computer. And presumably you detail them with uh, really good illustrations in your book. Yes, yes. I love the illustrations in that chapter. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, Do you know Tim Ferriss? He wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, and he also wrote The 4-Hour Body. Huh. No, I don't know The 4-Hour Body. I haven't read either, but I've heard of the Workweek book. Mm -hmm. Now, his goal is to find the most efficient, streamlined way to do everything, whether it's Mm -hmm. dieting or working or subcontracting or whatever. And under the area of exercise, he found that the most efficient exercise was with a kettlebell. And the motion that you use with the kettlebell of squatting down with your butt out to pick up the bell and then uh, uh, swinging it forward and backwards exactly replicates what you just said, that motion of sitting into a chair by squatting, sticking out your butt, and and, uh, bending your knees. Right. And keeping your back straight. 
Mm-hmm. I've had people say that to me about kettlebells, and uh, uh, I would. The only caution I would say is that if you don't do it correctly, and you'll find out quickly, I'm sure. Uh, if you tend to lift, come up with a lifted up chest, then you'll arch your back and overload it. And uh, but you'll know <laughs> because your back will let you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I'm really happy to be reminded about kettlebells. I have, keep meaning to look into them. What I really liked about uh, your approach is that if you use the correct alignment and do the kinds of uh, bending and standing that you describe, um, you don't really need to spend hours in a gym. You can just, um, you know, be fit by going through your daily life. Now, you make a distinction between um, fitness, the kind of gym, ripped ab fitness, and good health. Um, can you expand upon that? Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, because of our tendency to slouch and collapse in our culture, we have kind of overcompensated out of a uh, an attempt to uh, correct this. We have sort of overcorrected uh, in the upright direction. So we've gone sort of past the middle. So there, there's the spectrum with slouching on one end and over uprightness on the other end, which is what we pretty much accept as being, quote, good posture in our society today. But actually, a more relaxed stance is required for all, all the systems of the body to function um, easily and smoothly uh, and sort of flowingly. And uh, so a lot of what happens at the gym and in uh, certain exercise routines is uh, overdevelopment of muscles. So if you think of the skeleton, the musculoskeletal system is two, uh, two parts together, and you can't have one without the other. If you had bones just standing in the middle of the room with no support whatsoever from uh, muscles and soft uh, tissue, those bones would fall down into a heap. Uh, But the real job of the muscles is not to hold us up and hold us together. The real job of the muscles is to move the bones. We live in a society that is totally muscle-centric. We're sort of obsessed with muscles. You either have to go out and work to build them up and develop good, strong, hard body kind of muscles, or you have to stretch away tension. And those seem to be the things that we constantly do back and forth for people who are on sort of fitness path. So the problem is that when you have too much tension in muscles from overdeveloping them and targeting certain muscles or certain groups of muscles over others, uh, then these muscles become like storehouses for tension. Um, often overdevelopment of upper body um, muscles uh, actually end up limiting the range of motion of the shoulders rather than allowing the shoulders to remain really loose and and free. And then, of course, we're more prone to injury if you stumble and fall or, you know, even small uh, incidents can cause um, people injuries that they wouldn't have if their bodies functioned as as an integrated whole that is a balanced interplay between aligned bones and elastic muscles. Hmm. We're going to take a a quick break and then we'll be right back with Kathleen Porter.
Silent, The Power of Silence by Gregory Malouf, founder of the Epsilon Healing Academy. Gregory reveals the secrets to real-life success through his engrossing stories, spiritual insights, and relevant examples from his own personal journey, as well as the experiences of those around him. It is these examples and the simple yet highly effective steps that you will easily integrate into your own life that make Silent so remarkable. Silent answers the most commonly asked questions. How can I consciously create the life I desire? How can I overcome limiting beliefs that hold me back? How can I live free from self-doubt, stress, and anxiety? How can I have more authentic loving relationships, more wealth, and more energy for what's really important. Silent is an overwhelmingly honest account of Malouf's own struggles from childhood abuse to outstanding success to personal crisis and finally to complete self-fulfillment. His story is interwoven with practical advice, inspirational teachings, and motivational exercises which instantly give you the answers you seek. Malouf has made it his mission to help others understand what is holding each of us back from living life to the fullest. Don't wait. Become aware. Save what you have. Value what is truly important, your innermost desires, and create the life you deserve. Go to www.gregorymalouf.com slash silent offer. That's G-R-E-G-O-R-Y M-A-L-O-U-F dot com forward slash silent offer. There you'll get more information about Greg and the book Silent, The Power of Silence. Inspired by the number one best-selling book, Summer's Path, by Scott Bloom, founder of Daily Ohm, Walk-In is an award-winning film that boldly confronts some of life's biggest mysteries. In this emotionally gripping independent film, ailing engineer Don Newport comes face-to-face with his personal destiny when he meets an angel named Robert while on his deathbed. Robert ultimately inhabits Don's previous body while comically grappling with his newfound humanness. A surprise ending leaves viewers with a unique perspective on death and the immortality of the soul. Now available on DVD and VOD at www.walkinthemovie.com. You are listening to New Consciousness Review. You can learn more about Miriam Knight's guests by visiting the NCR online showcase of Conscious Media, where you'll find thousands of spiritual and progressive titles of authors and filmmakers. And now let's get back to Miriam and her guest. And we're back with Kathleen Porter speaking about her book, Natural Posture for Pain-Free Living, The Practice of Mindful Alignment. One of the things that you emphasized in your book, Kathleen, was the spiritual and energetic dimensions of alignment. Um, Why should we be conscious of those? Well, I think we tend to sort of think of uh, spirituality or metaphysics on one uh, side of things and physical as being opposite and separate somehow, when I really don't think you can do that. Um, 
the, um, you know, they're just, I believe, different aspects of a reality that's universal um, and that we, we tend to make a really big mistake in thinking of, oh, you know, there's these sort of pat phrases that we've all heard, you're not your body, you must transcend your body, and while the, those uh, messages have some truth in a very ultimate sort of reality, perhaps, we're living here in this on this earth every day, every moment, and uh, we're really losing out on um, a quality of presence that I believe can really only be experienced through the body as sort of embodied presence. So it's hard for me to really be experience the power of now if I am disconnected from my body. And of course, being aligned is uh, such a key factor because when I am aligned, uh, my skeleton is aligned as the underlying framework of support for this entire physical system. Um, everything is flowing. And it's not just, you know, fluids and blood and uh, hormones and um, enzymes and things like that, but it's energy. And energy flows through the body in a, a very um, profound, felt way uh, when we're aligned. When we're not aligned, it creates all these blockages and tensions in the body that, that sort of cuts off this, this open flow uh, that can be experienced and um, that, you know, gives us that, that sense of being here and being alive and being embodied presence. And uh, it's so fascinating now because with all this uh, genome research and this, um, you know, these growing fields of uh, epigenetics and neuroplasticity and all of this, um, they're really beginning to see that, you know, one isn't necessarily fated to live out uh, a sort of predetermined uh, genetic plan um, if, if, especially if it's a bad one, that, you know, through changing one's thoughts and beliefs and emotions, one can actually uh, change the way one's genes um, express themselves. And I would be just so excited if some of this, these amazing scientists who are looking into this and um, are exploring ideas that are, you know, in many ways sort of beyond my ability to comprehend. But if at the same time they could recognize that there is a physical sort of home base um, that defines a, a physical center from which good health and uh, positive change and all of that can occur. In support of what you just said, actually, there were two um, results from uh, research that came to mind. One was that the bones in our body actually um, have a piezoelectric effect, so that by putting pressure or torque on the bones, an electric current flows through them. And, of course, there was the, the work of, of uh, Richard Gerber, who wrote The Body Electric, um, mm -hmm. talked about uh, all of the uh, electrical aspects of bone knitting and, and bone growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other one was that the water in our body apparently acts very similar to um, a fiber optic cable in that it's it tends to act in a coherent fashion and also 
uh, transmit information instantly, effectively at the speed of light. So what you say is actually quite convincing in that if we're aligned with the electromagnetic field of the Earth and we're in proper alignment, uh, allowing the, the energies to flow throughout our body, that that would be a much more nourishing and strong position from which to act in the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think yeah. a lot more research needs to be done. I, and I hope you're doing it, Kathleen. Well, I'm looking for people who are interested in um, teaming up with me on any aspect of this, but especially where, where it um, involves babies and children, but really anything. The, 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 the uh, applications of this information to every aspect of our lives uh, is just unending, and uh, it's just fascinating. Um, you know, in terms of uh, spirituality and uh, how all of this applies, um, you know, I was a longtime meditator. Uh, tr- I would sit in meditation for long periods of time and do long retreats. And uh, for quite a bit of time, I was not in this naturally aligned body, and I really uh, struggled. Um, and so I would go back and forth between collapsing and then pulling myself up and sort of overcorrecting by lifting up my chest and pulling my shoulders back, which would cause tension in my back. And um, it's when I learned how to sit in meditation, supported by my bones, that everything about my practice changed. Mm-hmm. And um, I really began to see how much the efforting um, to hold ourselves up actually cuts that flow and that it creates, it's almost like a different kind of slouching. It's slouching in the opposite direction. And, um, you know, you had a wonderful, wonderful metaphor with the sad dog, happy dog. Can you describe that? Yes, well, I work, I've uh, done programs in public school classrooms with elementary students who get very embarrassed if you talk about words like pelvis and, God forbid, pubic, at first at <laughs> least. Um, they get so embarrassed they can't stop laughing, actually. And so I came up with this idea of sad dog, happy dog, uh, which is the name of a book I wrote, um, to help children understand the position of the pelvis. Because, you know, when you're standing, you're standing on your feet. When you're sitting, actually, your pelvis is your feet. It's the foundation. It's the, the platform base on, that allows the spine to be a mostly self-supporting structure. And if the pelvis is tucked and tipped like a sad dog, then the spine collapses. So if you ask a child... You know, can you can you show me what happens if a dog is being scolded for chewing a slipper or something like that? What does the dog do with its tail? Well, it tucks its tail, and then its spine collapses. A happy dog wags its tail behind it, and it's completely aligned. But there's actually a third dog, and that third dog is tense dog. And the tense dog is sort of the model of our of our society today, which is this very over upright kind of stance, which I have to say as a yoga teacher is the way I stood for many years. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little difficult to picture, but if you could draw a word picture for the rotation of the pelvis and you know how uh, you recommend that people seat themselves since we all spend yeah. so much time in chairs. 
okay, it's it's not a visual picture, but it's a very felt picture. I, I recommend that people start out by sitting on their hands, just on one hand. So, you know, if you think of leaning to one side slightly, a little forward, and taking the opposite hand and placing it under your buttock, and then sit back down on that hand and kind of roll around and feel the uh, sort of this knobby, um, bony structure on your uh, hand. That's your uh, ischial tuberosity or your uh, sit bone. And uh, what you will then do is you'll take your fingers on that bone and sort of walk them as far forward as you comfortably can, and then draw that bone back behind you on your seat. And then just take a moment to notice the difference between that side and the other side. And then repeat this same little exercise, binding the bone with your hand on the other side and drawing that bone back. And it may take a few times of working with this to to, uh, to get it. But what you're going for is a sense of your sit bones being as far back on the seat and as far apart from each other as possible, at this point, your pubic bone will be down, aiming down close to the surface um, of the seat. So the floor of the pelvis is wide. You've sort of parked your pelvis in this antiverted position that uh, is the way it's intended to be sat upon. And if you look at any uh, well-developing um, baby that's just learned how to sit up, you will see that this is the way they sit. They sit on the very, very front of that sit bone, of those sit two sit bones. And um, that is the, the position of the pelvis, whether sitting or standing, actually, that um, supports um, an elongated supple spine. Mm-hmm. And of course, the other part of the equation is what you do with your rib cage. Uh, well, that's thank you so much for bringing that up, because the problem for a lot of people is as soon as they park their pelvis, they realize that oh, I've got you know tightness or discomfort in my lower back, or I've got this lordosis, this arching uh, in my lower back, and uh, so this will often happen when people get themselves onto their pelvis in this quote happy dog um, way. At which point you don't compensate by going back to tucking your pelvis. You keep your pelvis parked um, as a happy dog. And you then take a breath. And as you exhale, you just relax your rib cage down, the front of your rib cage down. You'll feel your back kind of going up a little bit. Um, you give yourself permission to let go of holding the rib cage up. And this will allow the the muscles in the back to um, to lengthen and uh, let go and uh, that arching to release. Uh, this is hard for a lot of us because we have been so conditioned by uh, everything in our culture to, uh, you know, who has not heard, tuck the butt, suck in the belly, lift up your chest and pull your shoulders back. That is pretty much what we have all been taught to believe represents good posture, which is one of the reasons why posture is a dirty word in so many people's minds, because it reminds us of our mothers nagging us, and it reminds us of uh, the tension, the struggle, the effort involved in 
putting into practice what we thought was good posture. The, the message here is that truly good posture is comfortable, it's easy, it's relaxed, it's effortless when you know, when you figure out how to let your bones do the work of holding you up. There just has to be a metaphor here for life in general. Yeah, there are, pl- there are lots of them. Um, and I work on them all the time. But it has a lot to do with aligning with our nature in every aspect, whether it's, you know, aligning our bones as nature intended them to be aligned or aligning ourselves with, you know, how we eat and how we think and live and all of that. Uh, but it also has a lot to do with these really age-old messages of letting go. Because when the bones are aligned, it is then actually safe to relax and let go. If my bones are not aligned, it's not safe for me to let go because if I do, I'll collapse. And so I hold myself together with all this tension that's often, you know, also emotional tension and fear and all of these other things that are um, caught in the body. So, you know, it's really fascinating that you can change your body and change your the way you think and the way you feel emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think I really let go of a lot of uh, not only physical tension, but a lot of, you know, limiting um, misguided beliefs about myself and others and uh I find that when I'm struggling to um, deal with a particular situation that I find uncomfortable or something, if I just bring myself back to inhabiting my body in this really aligned way, I find that I really have the support that I need within myself that really is sort of the guide for me being able to move through whatever situation it is. Yeah, it's kind I, of relaxing and trusting your body, actually, yeah, to, to hold yeah, you up and trust. take it forward. Yeah. Because my body is the representative. It's, the, you know, it's my own personal experience of this bigger world. It's just a microcosm of that world within my skin. And it's the only part that I can really have affect any change over. I mean, I actually can, I think, affect change by inhabiting my body well. Then I think my, my reach into the world becomes more um, effective. You know, I was an environmental activist in my youth, and I was quite strident, and I was not in my body, and I don't think people were inclined to listen to me because I was lecturing them, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kathleen, what is your website? My website. My website is naturalposturesolutions.com. And um, you have a, a, a cunning little uh, product on your site uh, yes. for helping tip your pelvis in the right direction. What's it I called? I do. I have a little pot product called the Wedge, and it is uh, very small. It's um, made out of uh, non-skid fabric, so it can be used on uh, wooden chairs and high chairs and piano benches, and uh, uh, it can be used in the car. It, uh, at the desk, you can take it's small enough to fit in your bag, so you can take it to a concert <laughs> or <a> movie. <laughs> but it, for people who really have a difficult time remembering to tuck in their pelvis, then mm-hmm. they um, uh, have this little cushion to remind them. Great. And, uh, 
Yeah. So um, we have been speaking with uh, Kathleen Porter, the author of Natural Posture for Pain-Free Living. Her website is naturalposturesolutions.com. Kathleen, I'm so delighted that you could join us today. Well, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to speak with you, Miriam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You'll find Kathleen Porter's book, as well as hundreds of other books, films, interviews, and reviews on our website, ncreview.com. And now it's time for our track of the week selected by Scott Johnson from the Positive Music Association. This week we have a track by Tammy Allen called I Am Free.
That was I Am Free by Tammy Allen from her album, Wonderful to Be. Tammy is a member of the Positive Music Association, a growing group of musicians who use music not only to entertain, but to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. The PMA website is PositiveMusicAssociation.com and Tammy Allen's website is TammyAllenMusic.com. Well, that's it for our show for today. I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.